everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. You know, there's a there's sort of a drift in in churches that can happen if you don't keep your eye on it. There's a couple things. Churches will tend to drift older if if you're not intentionally thinking about young people, youth, children. They'll, they'll just drift older and and older preferences and older programming. Churches will tend to drift inward focused, thinking about themselves and we need to be pushed outward focused sometimes, you know? What is our impact in the community? Jesus has left the building and and don't just come to church, but go and be the church. I mean, this this is about... Um, an outward mentality. And uh, uh, NAC fulfills our God-given mission best when we are looking outward, loving and serving those, uh, making a gospel impact outside the walls of, of this building. But being, you know, outwardly focused is kind of half the equation. Um, an outwardly focused church paradoxically has to be strong inward right? Without an inner strength and a, and, a, and a health and a unity, we're not going to be able to support that outward focus. Does that make sense? It's two, it's two muscles that work together. They have to be developed together. Could you imagine if all you did was leg day at the gym? You'd, you know, you'd have these uh, stallion-like legs and sort of a uh, no upper body. Uh, why, do, why am I making exercise references? Nothing I, it's things I know nothing about. Um, yeah, I'll research it later. Yeah. So, so what does it take for us to be strong inwardly? Um, sprinkled generously throughout the New Testament are these 59 one another passages. And these are verses that describe how we are to treat one another. We are to be devoted to one another. We are to live in harmony with one another, accept one another, teach and instruct and encourage one another. So um, we officially kicked off this fall series, One Anothering, uh, by looking at the granddaddy of them all today, it is the one repeated more than any other, and that is we are to love one another. 16 times the call to love one another is echoed or repeated. It is, it is echoed by four different authors in five different books of the Bible. It is the one principle on which all the other one another's depend on, right? You can't be a one another in church without love. Love one another is also the only one another statement that comes directly from Jesus himself in John 13, 
34, this is what Jesus says. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What is it that defines us as Christians? Um, uh, we could be defined, I suppose, by our mission to, go, to seek and save the lost. We could be defined by our worship. Uh, we could be defined by our church buildings or programs. Now, the one thing that should define us more than anything else is love. Love. Jesus calls loving God and loving others the greatest of all the commandments. He, he says that everything that scripture teaches hangs on these two things. And the apostle Paul says that there are three eternal virtues, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest, he says, of those is love, love. The great theologian Francis Schaeffer said that the world has a right to judge Christianity by the way we treat each other as Christians. And so he writes, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. It sounds like love is the ultimate confirmation of Christianity. You know, just a quick gut check here. How are we doing uh, with that as our metric for Christianity, for our Christian witness. I don't mean, I don't even mean personally right now, I, I don't even mean NAC specifically as a church, but in general, as a Christian culture, would you say that we are known by our love? Love is the proof of our faith. It is the evidence of what we believe by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If, if that ain't enough for you, the Bible says that loving one another actually completes the law. Like in other words, the 613 rules, laws that the Pharisees and every good little Orthodox Jewish boy and Jewish girl would um, memorize and, and keep uh, try to obey. Jesus said all of those can be summed up this way. Love God and love others. And then Romans 13 really spells it out. It says, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation or your debt, some translations say, to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you'll actually fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And if for no other reason, if, if you have experienced the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, then loving one another is kind of just a grateful, natural response to the love that we have experienced. First John says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, 
sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It's a response to him initiating love for us. Now, we all agree in principle, I think, to love. We sing about it. We read about it. We talk about it. We preach about it. But let's be honest. Sometimes we have a hard time loving one another in practice, right? We love love in the, in the abstract, but we struggle with it in the concrete sometimes, you know? Like the, like the father who had just paved his driveway, fresh, uh, fresh cement, and the concrete was still fresh and wet, and he fenced it off and taped it off, but he found his young son playing outside close to it, right? And he told him, don't go near that new driveway. You stay off that driveway. You understand? Yes, I understand, Daddy. Well, you know what happened. Pretty soon, it's splat, 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 handprints and signing his name and writing with a stick. And uh, Dad was furious. He was yelling at the boy. He was threatening him with all kinds of punishment. And Mom comes out, and in a understanding tone, reminded her husband that he loved his son. And the dad says, I love him in the abstract. I don't love him in the concrete. That's a dad joke. That's a preacher joke right there. Um, We love everyone in the abstract, but sometimes, man, we have a hard time loving specific people. Do you love your church family? Oh, sure. Easy question. Of course I do. Do you love, fill in the blank, insert the name of that person who is annoying, difficult, polarizing? When you start to picture specific people, it becomes a little less theoretical, doesn't it? It's like the reverse of that Stalin quote that we've been hearing through COVID these days. You know, one death is a tragedy, but 200,000 deaths are a statistic. And sometimes it's a lot easier to love sort of a faceless organization, a tribe, than it is to love real people where you know all their quirks and their neediness and their foibles. You know, a lady came home from choir practice one uh, evening and her husband was amazed because she's never home early from choir practice. He says, why are you home so soon? And she said, well, we had to call off choir practice early. Uh, The organist and the choir director got in a terrible argument about how we are to sing, we are one in the spirit. So we came home early. Another dad joke, but that's that old saying that says, um, Uh, To live with the saints in heaven above, oh, that will be glory. But to live with the saints on earth below, well, that's quite another story. Wouldn't the church be great if it weren't for all these darn Christians, you know? Now, I know that when Jesus comes back, we will be transformed. Um, The last remnants of our sinful nature are going to be done away with. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want us to wait until heaven before we start loving one another. It begins here and now, doesn't it? And he calls it a new kind of love. Did you notice that? Um, 
wait a minute, how, how, what, what is he talking about new? It certainly doesn't sound new in our day. I mean, if anything, it sounds more like a cliche. All the songs written about love, all the rom-coms, all the poems, all you need is love. And this was true in Jesus' day too. There were plenty of philosophers and popular teachers in the first century who extolled the virtues of love. So how does Jesus come off calling it new? Uh, The command to love wasn't even new in terms of religious faith. Way back in Leviticus 19, God commanded, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what did Jesus mean by new? I, I, I hope nobody's annoyed. I, I notice I keep coming back to the meanings of words, but I, I think it's helpful in this case where there are two Greek words that Jesus could have used for new. The first one is, is neos, which meant new in time, okay? So neos is the latest, it's the most recent. Your, your, your new car, uh, your 2021 Honda Civic would be a neos car, Right? Now, the other word that Jesus could have used was kainos. Kainos, it means something new in nature, uh, different in, in quality or form, uh, something fresh or unique. When you buy your favorite product in the store and it says new and improved, it's kainos, okay? In a few weeks from now, uh, Emma's gonna get baptized and it's a symbolic way of saying, hey, I'm still Emma, but because of the change Jesus has done in my heart, I'm Kanos Emma. I'm new and different in nature and in form. And that's the word that Jesus uses here. He was talking about a new kind of love. The love he was commanding was to be like his love for us. The love he was commanding It sprang from a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit. The love he was commanding um, was compelled by a new motivation, the the self-sacrificing death of Jesus on a cross. It was love new and improved. This is seen in the very word that Jesus uses for love. Now, um, ancient Greeks had four different words for for love. They, They didn't ruin one good word by making it mean 20 different things like we do. We love sushi. We love the leaves. We love the summer. We love our spouses. We love our children. We love our church. We love Tiger King, right? All same word. For, love, for us, love can mean like a lot of different things. And the Greeks, thankfully, were a little more defined. The first word they used for love was storge. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, storge. It's used only once in the New Testament, Timothy 3.3. And it means um, affection. It's, it's almost always used in the, in the family context, you know? It's the watchful care of, of parents, of their children. It's the natural bond between family members. Um, there's nothing especially Christian or unique about this kind of love. It's found in families throughout the world, throughout history. Second word the Greeks had for love is eros, right? This is more sexual love. It's, it's where we get the word erotic. It covers everything from uh, romance to sexual desire to passion. Interestingly, 
This word is, is never used in the New Testament. Uh, what you should do is go to this beautiful portrait of Eros in the Old Testament in, in the book Song of Solomon. It'll make you blush, yeah, but it's probably the definition that we use in this culture, isn't it? In terms of the word love. Now the Greeks use this third word, which is found in many places in the Bible, and that is uh, philia. This is sort of that general word for love. It speaks of friendship. Uh, it speaks of companionship, uh, cooperation and sharing. The word is translated as brotherly love in the New Testament. Listen, there's, there's nothing uh, wrong with these kinds of love. Sometimes I hear preachers demean them as sort of a lesser love. No, these are God-given uh, forms of love, and we should accept them and enjoy them. But when Jesus calls us to love one another in the church, um, these aren't the kinds of love he's talking about. Jesus uses a fourth word. It is a word for love that was rarely, if at all, used by the Greeks or the Romans of that day, who, by the way, had never dreamed of this kind of love. You know, their gods were credited with lusting after women, but never loving sinners. And the New Testament writers had to introduce what was virtually a new Greek word to express the love that God had for us. But it is by far the most frequently used word for love in the Bible. I'll bet many of you old timers know what that fourth word for love is. Somebody say it. Agape, very good. You all get a dollar. Uh, talk to Chris after the service. And uh, it's the type of love that he calls us to have for others. It's an unconditional love. It is a love not based on how you make me feel. It is a love based on how I choose to treat you. And this is why Jesus can actually command love. Uh, you notice that, right? Love is a command, like it's a matter of obedience. Like if we don't love one another, we are actually being disobedient to Jesus. If there's someone in church and you refuse to love them, you are deliberately disobeying our savior. Whoa, are you sure about that preacher? Yes. Yes, this is every bit as much a command as thou shalt not steal or thou shalt not lie. You, you can see why people might have a, a bit of a problem with the idea of love being a commando because commando, <laughs> focus, Jonathan, because the way our culture thinks about love, you know, we can't really command it. You fall in love with him. You uh, spend the rest of your life with her and uh, don't worry, I'll introduce you later. Like that's not, that's not how we think about love in a rom-com culture. Here's what Ray Stedman writes about it. Loving people is about the most difficult thing that some of us do. We can be patient with people and even just and charitable, but how are we supposed to conjure up in our hearts that warm, effervescent sentiment of goodwill, which the New Testament calls love. Some people are so miserably unlovable. 
How are we supposed to stir up these warm, fuzzy feelings towards such people? Well, Jesus' answer is we don't have to. In most cases, we probably will never be able to. The fact is, feelings don't enter into it. Huh? The love Jesus commands is not a feeling. You you can't command a feeling anyways. I'm told you can get hooked on a feeling, but you can't command one. And see, we tend to see love as a purely emotional response, even a, um, a biochemical reaction, right? Love is something that happens to us. We fall in love. We fall out of love. We can't determine whom we will love or why. It just happens. Well, Jesus' view of love is different. It's not primarily a feeling, but a choice. A choice. It's a decision to treat someone in a gracious and generous manner. The love Jesus commands is not how I feel about you, but how I treat you. It's not based on what you can do for me, but on what I can do for you. And if that isn't hard enough, Jesus doesn't just give us this new command to love one another, but then he attaches it to the highest possible standard imaginable. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. What you talking about, Jesus? Hold on. So it's not love as you feel like loving them. It's not love as they have loved you. It's love as Jesus has loved us. Whew. What kind of love is this agape love? It's a selfless love. Um, you realize God doesn't love us based on what we do for God or how faithful we are to him or how we make him feel. God loves selflessly, generously, unconditionally. You know, Paul writes in the famous love chapter in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't measure how deserving you are or not of being loved. It's a love that lays aside itself for the benefit of others. It's, it's not this kind of love. Uh, dearest Jimmy, uh, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Maria. P.S. And congratulations on winning the Lotto 649. <laughs> That's not agape, okay? Agape is generous. Agape is vulnerable. Um, it has to be. It, it has to sort of risk something. I like how C.S. Lewis wrote it. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Wrap it around carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, 
safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Wow. Now here's what I want you to do. As we talk about loving one another, I mean really loving one another, I want you to picture other people in our church. Um, Not those maybe who you find easy to love. I want you to think about those that you find difficult to love, those who maybe try your patience a bit, those who test your Christian character because Jesus uh, has them just as much in mind as anyone else when he says, love one another. And here's the truth. Someone is picturing me right now. And someone is probably picturing you. How do you like that? Jesus is telling you, love that person you're picturing. It doesn't matter how that person makes you feel. You are to love that person. If it, um, it doesn't matter, I suppose, even if you have chemistry with them, or even if you respect them, you are to love that person. He wants you to love them just like he loves them and love them just like he loves you. Go find someone you've been avoiding, maybe, and give away just extravagant love to them. You'll learn more about God. I think you'll learn more about your neighbor, about your enemy, and you'll learn more about your faith. Find someone you think is wrong, someone who you disagree with, someone who isn't like you at all, and decide to love that person the way you want Jesus to love you. And I should also point out here that Jesus worded his grammar in a very specific way. When he says, love one another, it actually means progressive. Keep on loving one another. Like this is going to be a continuous ongoing love. Our love for each other isn't a one-time act, you know, thank goodness I'm done loving that person or just an occasional gesture. It's a continuous endeavor, right? Sounds like a lot of work, doesn't it? Kind of is. I wish it came easily. I wish it came automatically at salvation. Uh, Here's how Donald Miller puts it in a book you should read sometime called Scary Close. He says, I no longer believe love works like a fairy tale, but more like farming. Most of it is just getting up early and tilling the soil and then praying for rain. But if we do the work, we just might wake up one day to find an endless field of crops rolling into the horizon. And can I just take the pressure off y'all for for a second? Loving people doesn't mean you have to control their conduct, okay? There's a big difference between the two. Um, Loving people means you can care without having an agenda, right? As soon as we have an agenda, it's really not love anymore. Until our love in this church rises above the constantly changing feelings that we have, until it rises above our petty differences, until it rises above our preferences, until it rises above our politics, 
we will never see the full power of God working at New Market Alliance Church, and we will never make a huge impact in this world because, um, and this is stating the obvious, but you know, within our church, there are people with vastly different opinions and sensitivities to even this COVID situation. People with different opinions and sensitivities to masks and is this government interference. And perhaps um, there are those who won't be back for a long time because they see our protocols as too lax, actually. Those who won't be back because they feel that we've gone the other side, we've acquiesced too much and they aren't gonna be caught wearing a mask. And here's the thing, our love for each other has to be bigger than our opinions on that, has to be bigger than our opinions on those issues. So we do well to ask ourselves, what does wisdom require of us and what does love ask of us? Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. And he said, it wouldn't be what we said we believed or all the good we hoped to do someday. He said we would identify ourselves simply by how we loved people. You know, it's tempting to think it's more than that, but it's, it's not really. Love is not something we fall into. Love is something we become. And I'll just use some of the Andy Stanley words that I came across this week in closing, and I'll invite the team to come up as we, as we respond. But would you imagine a world where people were skeptical of what we believed, but envious of how well we loved one another? Could you imagine a world where unbelievers were just clamoring to hire or work with or live next door to Christians because of how well we one another people. Every week in this series, I'd, I'd love to leave you with a bit of a homework assignment, if that's okay. A, a love in action, if you will. And this week I was gonna say, you know, whoever it was that you were thinking of earlier, you know, that person that you found a little hard to love, I want you to go out and just do a loving thing for them this week. And then I, and I thought about it, I thought, wait, if they do that, everyone's gonna think that whoever does something nice for them, don't, they don't really like them. And I wasn't sure if my fragile male ego could handle all the suspicious kindness at once either. And so, I won't, I won't have you do that. But the thing is, we are all to treat each other the same loving, generous, kind way, no matter what. You, you really shouldn't be able to tell who likes you and who doesn't because we love everyone just the same. So let me just leave you with the same three words that Jesus left his followers. Love one another. Amen? Amen. Um, thank you for coming to church. Thank you for watching church. It's, it's, um, it means a lot. And you, it's not wasted time. But hey, more than coming to church, more than watching church, will you go now and really be the church? God bless you.